0: Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, and this evening we come to the end of our study in the book of Joshua. And appropriately, as we close our series this evening, we come to the death of one of God's most valuable, trusted servants. In verse number 29 of this text, Joshua is called the servant of the Lord, and that seems to be one of the special designations given in Scripture for those that are faithful. Because in the very first verse of this book, we find Moses is described in exactly the same way. And so that tells us that Joshua was in very good company. Uh, Joshua was a man that, uh, with no doubt, when he breathed his last breath and when he entered into the real promised land, when he went into heaven, and, of course, that's the place of all the redeemed, all the saved will go to heaven. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that when he first laid eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that he said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And here, the book of Joshua we find is really just a, a great picture of what happens when a Christian lives a faithful, dedicated life. There's victory when we do. And As we've learned throughout this study, we've talked about Canaan, and we've said that Canaan does not have all the characteristics that we can exactly call it a type of heaven, In some ways, there is an analogy to heaven. But Canaan is really all about the Christian life and the warfare and the difficulties that we enter into when we decide that we're going to commit ourselves to Christ. So that's really what Canaan represents. And so Canaan is about living victoriously in the Christian life. Well, here we come to the end of the book of Joshua, and it ends with funerals. Joshua's funeral is described Eleazar, the priest who was the son of Aaron, who succeeded Aaron, he also dies and he's buried at the end of this chapter. We also find something else here, and that's about Joseph. Uh, Joseph was buried, and of course Joseph died about 200 years before this. But God's people made a promise that when uh, Joseph died, that they would carry his bones up out of Egypt, and then they would be buried in the promised land. And so for 200 years, the the children of Israel remembered that promise, and it's recorded here to show us that Joshua was faithful to keep that promise that had been made by God's people. Now, uh, Joshua uh, led the children of Israel, of course, into the promised land. He kept this oath, and Joshua's life is really just a great lesson in leadership. Joshua was God's chosen man, and he shows us characteristics of leadership. So we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. We're going to close out the book, and we're going to uh, look at Joshua's life and see how he really fit the mold of being a great leader. So if you would, please, let's stand as we read God's word. We're looking at the last verses of the chapter. Uh, We're going to start reading at verse number 29 in chapter 24. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for an hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in a hill that pertained to Phinehas, his son, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the great study that we've had in the book of Joshua. As we close this out this evening, we pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes to the truths that you'd have us to know, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Before I begin the main part of the message tonight, I want to call your attention to verse number 30 in this text. Now, I'd just like to make a few comments here about this. Verse number 30 says, And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnasirah, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaosh. One of the things that I am just oh so thankful about when we think about Breham Baptist Church is really how this church takes care of the pastor. I have absolutely no complaints. Uh, You take good care of me. And I'm sure that uh, just about maybe all of you in here this evening that you want to make sure that all of my needs are met and even some of my wants as well. And so the church does a very good job of taking care of me. Joshua was a very special person and... He was God's servant, and I think that the only thing that Joshua had to do was really just speak the word, and the children of Israel would have been willing to give Joshua anything that he wanted. If Joshua had asked for the very best of the land of Canaan, if he saw the greenest valley that was there with the luscious vegetation, if he saw a a brook that ran through a piece of property where the deer and the antelope play or if he, if he saw a mountaintop that he desired that overlooked and had a great commanding view of the land of Israel, I'm sure that if Joshua asked for that, if he said, this is the place that I want, this is the place that I want to live, that there was not a person in Israel that would have begrudged Joshua to have that choice. They would do it because Joshua was God's man. And so, humanly speaking, Joshua deserved only the best. And I think that if Joshua had asked for it all, Even if his inheritance, if he said, I want thousands upon acres in the land of Israel, that they would have been willing to give that to him. But the fact of the matter is, Joshua didn't ask for that. He could have had it if he wanted, but he didn't ask for it. When I think about this, I think about Lot and Abraham. Do you remember how the story was that Lot and Abraham were both increased with wealth? They had a lot of herds, and it became impossible, really, for them to dwell together. And so they decided that they needed to split up their territory. And so Abraham said to Lot, You choose the place that you want, and then I'll take the other place. Whatever you decide that you don't want, then I'll take the other place. And we know the story about how Lot chose the well-watered plains of Jordan. The Bible describes that as nearly like a garden place. And he took that, Lot took that, and Abraham took the hill country. Now, having gone to Israel in the past couple of three weeks, when you go into the hill country of, of uh, Israel, you really get, have to get a picture in your mind that it's nothing but rocks. I mean, you wouldn't desire that kind of territory. You wouldn't ask for the hill country. You would ask for a place like the well-watered plains of Jordan. You'd ask for the Valley of Jezreel or a place like that. You're not going to ask for the hill country. But this is exactly what Joshua did. Instead of asking for the very best of land, he chose a rocky, hilly place. And what he would rather do was to stay right there among his own people in his tribe. Now, what he could have done, he could have said, well, I see a better piece of property that's with another tribe. And then Joshua could have been the standout person among that tribe I mean, he would have been the one that everybody recognized and having the best piece of property. He could have done that, but that's not what Joshua did. And really, that's a great characteristic of leadership. He chose to dwell with his own people and just to be a servant among servants. That's a great, that's a great characteristic of leadership. So unlike many of our churches today where the pastor of the church has to be the pope or he has to be the, the king of his little fiefdom, And so Joshua was certainly not that kind of person. He didn't ask for unrelenting control of everything. He just wanted to be a servant among servants. And that's a great characteristic of leadership. But I need to go on because that's not the main part of my message tonight. I'd like to talk about some other things. I'd like you to notice, first of all, tonight, that a good leader is prepared by God. Joshua was God's chosen man. Now Joshua didn't choose himself, he, he didn't say that I think that I deserve this position. He was somebody who was chosen by God, and this was God's call for his life. Now, if you remember, when Moses was first chosen to be leader in Israel, God said, I want you to lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses sort of put up a complaint about that because he was afraid that the people would not recognize him as the leader. And so he insisted that God give him some kind of a sign, just show him something that he's really the chosen person to lead the people out. And you may remember that later on in the wilderness wanderings that some of the people began to challenge Moses and Aaron and they said, Well, we really don't think that you are God's appointed leader. We reserve the right of leadership ourselves, and we think that we ought to be leaders. And we know the outcome of that opposition because the Bible says that the earth opened up and swallowed all the ones that were in opposition against Moses and Aaron. Now, I don't know. That might be a pretty good thing for our political process today. Maybe someday the earth will just open up and swallow all the Democrats. That could happen. I don't know. <laughs> But Moses didn't choose himself. Moses was chosen by God. Now, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, we find there that God spoke directly to Joshua and gave him this commission. Now, before Joshua was chosen, he was prepared. God did some things with Joshua. He made him ready to take this position. He gave him the experience that he needed. Now, let's notice a couple of things about that. One of the things that w- happened with Joshua is that God prepared him through suffering. Joshua was not a person that was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, he didn't have royal blood that was flowing through his veins. He was a person that lived like the common man. He was one of those slaves that lived in Egypt. I mean, he was one of those that that had to make the tally of bricks just like all of the other Israelites did. He had a taskmaster that was standing over him, demanding him and beating him and making sure that he made the tally of bricks. He was just like all the other slaves. He was suffering in his condition as a slave. Then we know that Joshua experienced 40 years of wilderness wanderings. Now, that wasn't a picnic. Living out there in the wilderness, that was a difficult thing to do. And that was a journey of faith that these people went on. And all during that time, Joshua remained true to the Lord. Under the stress and the strain of it all, Joshua remained true to the Lord. Now, there were thousands of people that fell in the wilderness. We've studied all about that in the last few weeks in 1 Corinthians, where it tells us there when Paul says that with many of the people, God was not well-pleased. And how that throughout the whole wilderness wanderings, the bodies of Israelites were strewn throughout the desert. Well, all of that time, Joshua never complained. He was never one of those who got angry at any of the situation that was going on. Joshua also gained experience and through suffering because he was the one who was the, the veteran of battles. Before they ever got, to, uh, got into the Promised Land, he was a veteran of battles. He was the one that Moses chose to be the leader against the Amalekites. And so Joshua won that great victory, fighting against the enemies of God. And Moses was told to write about that victory in the book of the law. He was told to record in the annals of of, uh, Israel's history what Joshua had done. And so when the people saw that there was a victory that had been won, not only did they see that God supplied a victory, but they also saw that Joshua was the one who led the people into that victory. So Joshua went through a lot of suffering, And the Bible tells us that we receive glory through suffering. We might not like that, and we may not want to go through it, but the fact of the matter is the Scripture says that with much tribulation we shall enter into the kingdom of God. So we don't look for easy street. We don't look for easy way outs. We're going to suffer in the Christian life. Never complain about suffering. Now, we also ought to think about Joshua, the name. You remember again that the name Joshua is the very same name as Jesus In the New Testament. And we know that Jesus suffered. The Bible tells us that he went through suffering. Before he was crowned with glory. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 it says. But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor. That he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Don't ever be sorrowful because you suffer for the cause of Christ. James wrote. My brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. And temptations there actually means testing. When you fall into trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And so Joshua was certainly tried. The faithfulness of Joshua was proven. Uh, He was rewarded for that. And so Joshua was given a very special place in the annals of God's servants. So God prepared him through those hardships. And he showed them that he's always faithful to his promises. Then we also would notice that Joshua was prepared through submission. Joshua was, jo- was a Moses minister. For many years, he faithfully served Moses. I mean, he knew that Moses had been chosen by God, Moses was his master, Moses gave orders, and Joshua faithfully obeyed all of the orders. Now, there's an interesting uh, there's an interesting verse in Exodus that mentions Joshua. In Exodus 33, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. There we see that Joshua was a man who loved the tabernacle. Now, those are verses there that tell us that Joshua was a young man at the time. Actually, he was only young in comparison to the age of Moses because he wasn't a real young man. But he knew this, he must submit to Moses' authority, and he recognized that Moses' authority came from God. And so he stayed under that authority, and he stayed close to God, and God's presence was felt with him. I'm sure that there were many times that Joshua stood there by that tabernacle and he saw the cloud that would come down and stand over, the, over that holy of holies, and Joshua recognized that means the presence of God is here. And that's why Joshua loved to stay close to the tabernacle. He felt God's presence. Now, here's the thing about Moses. Moses would often talk with God. We, we just read this verse here that uh, the Lord came to Moses and spoke to him face to face as a man speaks to his friend. But you know the Bible doesn't say that Joshua had that experience? And yet Joshua knew the leadership of the Lord. He was close enough to God that without talking to God face to face as Moses did, that Joshua knew what God wanted from him. Joshua was faithful over these things. And Jesus said in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, when we have been faithful over few things, then God will make us faithful over greater things. In Joshua chapter 11, verse 15, it says, As the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. Now, right there, we have a very good observation for anyone who wants to serve God in greater ways, and that is to submit to authority. Submit to God's authority, of course, first of all, but also submit to the man of God's authority. That's what, that's what Joshua did. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for this is unprofitable for you. And so whatever God chooses a person for the ministry, he puts that person under authority so that he can begin to understand the role of submission. Now next I want you to notice that a good leader prepares himself. A man does not come into the responsibilities of leadership without doing all the work that's required. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Therefore, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now there Paul is talking about the necessity of controlling yourself, bringing every faculty under control so that he wouldn't be disqualified from serving God. If he let unbridled passions go in his life and if he let the things of the world take over, then he wouldn't be approved by God. He'd be set aside no longer to be able to be effective in the ministry. Now, what that verses, those verses are talking about is a person restricting their Christian liberty so that they, they uh, uh, do exactly what God wants them to do and make that application of God's will to their life, rejecting things that they want to do themselves. Now, a leader has to understand that. He has to have a good testimony. He realizes that he is a testimony. And he understands this as well, that his personal pleasures are always secondary to God's work. And so if that means that he has to take personal time, pleasure time, if it means that he has to uh, take some family time, if he has to take some other time, he just simply has to do that because God requires it. And so he have to, has to give time to study and to prayer and give up some of that personal time because a God's leader is required to beat back all personal fleshly desires and de- devote all the necessary time that it takes to God's work. That's what it takes for leadership. Now, I want you to notice that a good leader walks with God, and Joshua walked with God. A moment ago, I told you that that Joshua didn't have all those personal one-on-one encounters with God that Moses had, but he walked with God nonetheless. He had great faith in another way than Moses had, and that's because he didn't have the personal encounters, so he had to have such a closeness to the Lord that he could actually feel God speaking to him, and he knew what God wanted. Now, when Moses needed direction, we know that God often showed up and and pointed his finger in Moses' face. And he said, Moses, do this, or Moses, do that. But Joshua didn't have that. He had to know the mind of God nonetheless. So how does a person really understand and know the mind of God? God doesn't speak to us audibly. So how do you know what God wants? A few weeks ago, I was talking with my daughter Clarice in San Diego, She was talking about uh, something concerning God's leadership in her life. And she said something to this effect. She said, to be qualified to make spiritual decisions, you have to spend time in prayer and reading the Word and letting God speak to you through the Word. And then she started talking to me about her personal devotions. And she talked to me about how she got up early in the morning to read the Scriptures and to pray and to meditate on what she read. And folks, that is the key to this. I'm afraid most of us are just unwilling to do that. And we are not going to walk with God without spending time with God. My wife and I used to walk together. And uh, if she said to me, uh, are you ready to go walking? And I said, sure, yeah, you you take off. I'll catch up with you. I'm going to finish up this television program here. Take about five laps around the block, and then I'll be right there with you. So she comes home, and, and she says to me, boy, we sure had a great walk, didn't we? well, we didn't have a great walk together because we were nowhere near one another. And you know, there are a lot of Christians like that. They think and they claim that they're walking with God, but they've never really even been near to where God is. Now, of course, God is everywhere, but the Bible speaks about feeling the very presence of God. And the only way that you feel the presence of God is to get into his word and to communicate with God through prayer. That's how you walk with God. Now, that's the way that Joshua was. The Lord was on his mind, and so he took God with him wherever he went. And there was only one way that Joshua could do this. I mean, I mean, not depart from the law, only one way that he could keep from doing or keep doing everything that God commanded in the law and everything that Moses said. And there was only one way to do it, and that's to know what the Word said. That was to study the Word, to read the Word, and prepare yourself through the Word of God to walk with God. Then also this, a good leader waits on God. He waits on God to move. And 40 years in the wilderness wanderings, that that showed Joshua how to wait. You remember the story how that Israel, when they first came to Kadesh Barnea, that Joshua was one of those 12 spies that was sent over into the land. Joshua came back from that experience, and he was excited about it. He said to Moses, now we are well able to take this land. But the people didn't side with Joshua. They didn't believe that. And so they sided with the ten spies who said, we can't go in. And so what happened? Well, 40 years they spent wandering in the wilderness. Joshua had to have the patience to wait that out. 38 years from Kadesh Barnea, they were still wandering in the, in the wilderness. But, but Joshua never wavered from the promise of God. He was just waiting on God's time. And this is what a leader has to do. He has to have a vision but he has to wait for God to fulfill that vision. You never run ahead of God. Now, I do believe this. I most certainly do believe that it was God's will that Israel go into the land right at that time. They should have crossed the river, and if they had, God would have given them the victory. That was in God's will. But I also know this, that God sees the big picture. God knows everything that's going on. Things that we can't see, God sees it all. And God always works things after the counsel of his will. So it's not like that God doesn't know what I'm going to do because Israel did not go in when they're supposed to go in. What does God do? He still affects his plan. And what is his plan? Well, that gave him 38 years to train Joshua to become the leader. And that's exactly what happened. 38 years of experience of wandering in the wilderness taught Joshua to wait on God. And so when they finally got there, Joshua was fully prepared for the leadership role. And so he remained faithful. People are falling around him. People are walking away from God, murmuring and complaining, but not Joshua. You know why? Because he believed God's promise. You see, here's one thing that happened in Kadesh Barnea. When those spies came back and said, we can't go in the land, and Israel agreed to that, and they didn't go across the river, God said, for every day that there was a spy in that land, you have to wander in the wilderness. Forty days the spies were in the land. And so what did it mean? 40 days equals 40 years of wandering. So Joshua knew from the very beginning exactly what God said. It's going to take 40 years to get there. So he had to wait. He had to be patient. And so Joshua waited out the time. Being prepared by God, he was never going to run ahead. So good leaders know this. They know when God moves, and they move with God and not before. Now, finally, you couldn't call a leader a good leader until he does this. A good leader prepares the people. Now, a, a leader is not a leader unless he has somebody following. If he doesn't have anybody following, you can't call him a leader. Now, if you remember, when uh, when Moses died and God appointed Joshua, there were some things that had to be taken care of before they could go in to possess the land. One of the things that happened was that the manna in the wilderness stopped. Now, they've got to go get food on their own. God's not going to supply it any longer. They're going to cross the Jordan... And they're going to have to go over there, and they're going to have to fight, and they're going to have to get their own food. That's one of the things that God said up front. Prepare yourselves. You get the food that you need. You're going to have to feed an army. Then, after they got across the river, they still weren't ready to fight. There were two things that Israel didn't do. During all that time of wilderness wandering, they hadn't circumcised the men like they were supposed to, and that was the sign and the seal of the covenant of God. And they also did not celebrate Passover. So 40 years, they hadn't been through a Passover observance. So God says, you have to do that. You've got to do those two things, circumcise the men, and also you have to celebrate or observe the Passover feast. And of course, Passover, as we talked about this morning, that's emblematic of of Christ, how he would come and give his blood, he would die on the cross, and and so we can be saved. And unless the people did those two things, then Canaan would be lost. So Joshua had to tell the people, he had to prepare them for that. Now, likewise, God calls ministers to prepare for spiritual life. Ministers are here to prepare you for spiritual life. Well, there's actually three different types of people that must be prepared. Let's talk about those as we finish up this evening. The first type of person that you need to preach to, there has to be preaching to those that are living in bondage. In other words... The pastor, the preacher, the leader of the church, he has to preach to people that are in sin, living in bondage. They're not yet saved. We have the picture of Israel in Egypt, and Israel in Egypt is a picture of people living in sin, the lost sinner, in bondage there to sin. We talked about that uh, on Sunday a few weeks ago, so we're not going to go into detail. But a person who doesn't know Christ, the Bible says he is shackled by sin. He's a slave to sin, and without coming out from that sin without being delivered from it and brought into the life of Christ, he will never be released from bondage. So sin is a taskmaster. And the only release that you can have is to put your faith in Christ. Paul says in Romans one sixteen, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So in the gospel we find the power of deliverance. And, of course, the gospel is how that Christ died for our sins, how he was buried, and how he rose from the grave. And the Bible teaches us that the very same power that raised up Christ from the dead is the power that raises a person from spiritual death into spiritual life. Now, Moses, in these scriptures, is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And as Egypt, uh, as Israel rather, had to be delivered from the physical slavery of Egypt, so a person who is under the bondage of sin must be delivered from the spiritual bondage. So these people of Israel, they can never get to Canaan. They'll never get to the promised land unless they come out of slavery in Egypt. And a person who, come, who is going to know Christ as a savior and be delivered from, from uh, hell has to come out from under the bondage of sin. It has to be broken. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and life that that becomes possible. So that's the way to spiritual freedom. So that's one of the things we have to do as leaders in a church. We have to speak to people that are living in bondage. But then also, a pastor, a preacher, someone who leads the church, must also have some preaching to those that are living on the border. Remember, there are two and a half tribes in Israel that decided not to live in Canaan. Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, struck a deal with Moses. And they said, well, since we have lots of cattle, we have lots of herds, that it would be better for us to stay on the eastern side of Jordan because that's a place that's more accommodating to our herds. Well, Moses made a deal with them, and he said, well, I'll do that, but what you have to do, you must cross the Jordan River, and you must fight with us, and then when you fought with your brothers and we have subdued the land, then you can return to the other side of Jordan and you can take your inheritance there. Well, Joshua reminded him that. And so the people came over, they fought, and then when the land was subdued, they were allowed to go back and take their place on the eastern side of Jordan, outside of the Promised Land. Now, what that is then, that becomes a symbol of Christians who like to live on the borderline of Christianity. It's a picture of Christians that really never come into the fullness of their salvation. They never come into the fullness of the experience with Christ, Instead, they're drawn into the world. They live like the world. They never experience the fullness of their life. They become materially minded. They're physically minded. They're more concerned about laying up all of their treasures right here instead of laying up treasures in heaven. Those Christians, folks, are a drag on the ministry. Those are Christians that that you have problems with. They're a poor testimony. There's always the danger of them falling back into sin and you have to watch over them. And so a large part of the pastor's ministry is preaching to those people and working with those people who just want to be borderline Christians. Now, the fact of the matter is that these tribes that lived on the border, they were the first ones to go into apostasy. Now, those ones that were living at Joshua's time, they didn't go into apostasy, but their children did. And the reason was the world became too big of an influence on their children. And you know, I'm afraid that's what happens with a lot of Christian families. We have Christian people that they want to live on that border. They like the material things of the world. They want to enjoy all of those things. And you may be a person that marginally you act like a Christian and you're kind of keeping up the appearance and the facade of being a Christian. And maybe that's all right for you a while. But you know what's going to happen? Finally, it's going to get to your children. And you're going to lose your children when you live like that. And many Christians do. Many Christian people lose their families. They lose their children because they decided they like borderline Christianity. Well, these kinds of people, they are very difficult on a pastor. There's harder preparation that has to be made. You have a lot of heartache with them. These are Christians that are living in chastisement all of the time. And so you're always trying to help them with those problems. So they are really a difficulty in the ministry. Now, they're saved. They've made a profession in Christ, uh, believing in Christ, but they they just have not come into that fullness of their salvation. So you have difficulty with them. But praise God for this. There is still another group, and that is you get to preach to a lot of people that are living in the blessing. Thank the Lord for that, that there are people that are living in the blessing. And these are people that walk with God. They pray, they, they teach, they practice, they do what God wants them to do. They're the very people that the pastor counts on because he knows whenever there's something to be done, that's the person you call on. That's the person that you ask because they're living in the blessing of walking in the light of God. These are people that are piling up rewards in heaven. They're people that lay up treasures there just as God requires. Paul had some of those people. Remember... Uh, If you read the, the ends of most of Paul's letters, you find out always he's thanking somebody. He's talking about somebody who stood with him. He's mentioning the names of people that were faithful Christians that stood right there in the ministry with him. Paul mentions those people. So these are people that receive teaching and good doctrine from their pastor in the spirit in which it's given. When the word speaks to them and they find out that it's a little tough on them, That the preacher's stepping on their toes now and then? They don't complain about it. They just take the word and they correct the problems in their lives. They're living in the blessing. They want to be close to God. And so these are people that receive that good doctrine. They accept that. You know, I'm thankful for people in Berean that stand with the pastor. I'm, I'm thankful for people that accept the truth of God's word. I'm thankful for this, that when the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to a different way of thinking about some things, when I began to preach about the sovereignty of God, and when I began to teach about how God is in control of all things, that there are people here that stood with me on that. And you recognize the good doctrine, you accept that. And what you learn from that, just how truly liberating it is to understand that God is in control. It's not depending on you. You don't have to worry about, can I do enough? Can I keep on busy enough? Because it's all the weights on my shoulders. It's never on me. It's on God, and it's through His help that I'm able to do anything that I do. That's liberating when you find that out. So the pastor's job is to prepare people for this. Paul put it this way in Ephesians. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ. One thing that I surely hope is that when I stand before God in judgment, that I won't be judged for not having prepared people with good, sound doctrine. I do not want to stand in front of God and say, I did not prepare the people. And when I leave Berean someday, whenever that might happen, when I leave here, I hope I leave with people unified in the faith. I believe that we have that. I believe most of you probably here tonight, you are living in the blessing now. You're you're living close to the Lord, and that's why you want to listen to God's word. So we come down then to the end of the book of Joshua, and really I have just one more comment that I want to make concerning him, and I sure do hope that this is true of our ministry. You know this from the words of a song. May all who come behind us find us faithful. Now, do you know that's what happened with Joshua? Look there at verse 31, if you will. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. So Joshua was the kind of man that the influence was so great that the people that outlived him Those who knew Joshua and saw his testimony, his influence was great enough that those people remained true to God's word. They saw how that Joshua succeeded in God-given task by faithfulness, and they remained faithful as well. That's the kind of testimony that he had. And as a leader, as a pastor of this church, I do hope that when I'm dead and gone, that the doctrines of God's word will live on in these young men here, in our teenagers and those that we have taught the truth of the doctrines of God's word. I hope and I pray that they will continue on in the truth that's been delivered to them. And that's what it means to walk in the blessing and the light of God. We all want to be faithful to give the truth of God's word. And then pray that people who will receive it and will remain faithful to the Lord. Thank the Lord for men like Joshua. And I hope that you men in here tonight that are leaders in the church and women who are leaders in different areas of the church, that you stay faithful, stay close to God, and God will bless us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the life of Joshua. What an inspiration it is to us. We see a man who trusted you and stayed close to you, and we see the outcome of his life. He had great influence on the people that were around him, and they served God as they overlived Joshua. Lord, we pray that it might be so here. We pray that the leadership of our church might have the kind of testimony that that people will see this is a good thing to follow. There is success in the ministry by staying close to you and remaining faithful. And may you raise up young men, young women in our church who will be faithful to you and will become the future leaders of this church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.